There is a space where you are all you need, where you are all you want. All there is is here. Welcome to the Source Connection, conversations about who we truly are, the possibilities of creation and the new earth we are birthing, with your host, Tara Long and Liz B. Welcome, everyone, to one more episode of The Source Connection. Some people call me Liz. I'm here with my co-host, Tara Long, and our very special guest, Dr. Julie Panessi. Let's just take a moment together to just take a few long and deep breaths, coming into the field of coherence and togetherness. (sighs) Let's do one long, deep inhale together. And let's just side out. Ah. Mm. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we're doing a quick, we recorded this week our longest episode, and this is going to be our shortest episode. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going from, yeah. Two extra, um, I'd like to introduce Dr. Julie for a moment and then we'll take it from there. She is a philosophy and ethics professor, um, now a pandemic ethics scholar for the Democracy Fund, teaching civil liberties. And she had, written, she had just written a book called My Choice, The Ethical Case Against the COVID-19 Vaccine Mandates. And um, the way I got introduced to you was that beautiful video that you did for your students. And yes. that deeply, 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 I saw this beautiful human being um, right there, just heart to heart. So thank you for mm-hmm. that. That's mm-hmm. very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Julie, I saw that video too and just touched my heart right away and I was crying with you. So thank you for oh, that. A lot, of, um, a lot of people all around the world are going through, have gone through, probably will go through the same thing. And it's... Uh, I think the emotion is not a personal, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not for my personal situation. It's that we've gotten ourselves to this place in the world when, my goodness, we should have learned a lesson decades ago. Here we again and yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start with this beautiful quote on your Instagram, which is, we cannot be forced to be other than what we want to be in our souls, which points to, you know, here at the Source Connection, we talk so much about being connected to whatever one wants to call it, soul or source, and how that, when we're connected with that, it points to our truth and being in alignment. And so, as an ethics professor and talking about morals all the time, I, I, my question for you is, how is being, how do you feel being connected to our soul is related to our moral compass. Yeah, I mean, I think the question you're asking is a little bit of a different one from what was meant by the quotation, but they're both good and interesting questions. And what I was thinking there is that I think so many people now feel like they 
have lost the ability to make decisions about their lives. And people will say, well, I'm forced to quit my job. I'm forced to take a vaccine. I, I'm forced to not, I can't travel anymore. And it's true that so many, you know, things that were possibilities for us maybe a while ago are, are not possible anymore. And there, there's harm in that. There's an injustice in that. But I think we need to realize that, you know, those, those things are beyond our control to a certain extent, but that doesn't need to dictate who we are. It doesn't need to make us, you know, bitter or resentful or distrusting or, I mean, we might be like legitimately less trusting of certain people than we used to be, but we don't need to allow it to change our character. And our character is the thing that's, that's up to us. So when I'm talking about the, in the soul, I mean, you know, our character, who we are, what we believe fundamentally, what our dispositions are towards things like courage and generosity and, and openness and tolerance and trusting. Um, And uh, so, you know, you bring up the moral compass and I think a lot of people, moral compass, and I think another way of describing that is that it's, it's your intuitive sense about whether something is right or wrong. And, you know, wonder where does that come from? I think it's natural in a certain sense in virtue of being human being, but it can also be cultivated. So children who have had, you know, good examples and had a good upbringing and, um, you know, they received good kinds of instruction, not formal, but informal, um, have a better, more developed sense of, of a moral compass than other people. And, you know, you can have those pangs of conscience, but it's up to you whether you choose to listen to them. And then it's further up to you whether you choose, you know, to act on them or not. So there's still a lot of room for choice in terms of what we believe, what we decide um, in this world, even though the sphere of choice is kind of becoming uh, tighter and tighter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'd like for us to define ethics because I feel like it seems, where's the place of ethics right now as we've gone through two years of this complete destruction of what we thought life was in in, um, institutions and government, all of that. So when I think of ethics, I think of a set of moral principles, right? A theory that kind of governs, governs a guiding philosophy and so how, I guess my question is, how would you describe that? And what do you think moving forward is the place for that and how do we cultivate it? Absolutely. I think that's a good way of describing it. Another way to think of it is that it's, you know, when we're talking about ethics, we're talking about normative questions or questions that often have should or ought in them, right? So we're not just interested in what's factually true, what's possible for humans to do. We're interested in what we should do, what's the best thing to do uh, from that realm of possibility. And, you know, then ethicists disagree about that. So they they talk about <laughs> happiness or duty or um, character or virtue, and they disagree about, and that that's why I think we now have this disagreement about whether something like autonomy and personal freedom is the overriding moral principle or whether it's something more like collectivism and our obligation to, to, to the group. And um, this, you know, fundamental moral uh, disagreement that has been generated by this COVID situation is really between those two things. You know, it's about whether or not the individual is primary or the group is primary. Of course, there are a lot of scientific questions and I think there are problems with how, you know, science has evolved over the last couple of years. There are problems with what we take science to be. There's problems with, you know, the fact that we don't really have an open system in which, uh, you know, there's a free exchange of ideas. I don't think we're being careful about the evidence. I don't think we have enough data, enough studies that are, that are being careful 
harmful. Um, and then we're using the conclusions of those studies that, in my view, aren't being careful to inform policies that are restricting people's freedom and civil liberties. So, um, you know, there are a lot of people, academics included, who just dismiss ethics as either, you know, useless, misguided or non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part, I think, of our sort of heavy reliance on science these days. We, you know, we've, we've gotten a kind of hubris, I think. Science has done a lot for us. It's, there have been great advancements, I suppose, in technology and medicine and, you know, but that's not... Um, <laughs> I mean, you you hear a lot about someone like Elon Musk these days and well, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody bows to Elon Musk because he has how many billions of dollars and he seems Mm -hmm. to know all kinds of things about, um, you know, technology. Well, that's great, but that is not um, deciding technological questions does not decide moral questions. It doesn't, um, you know, the more technically advanced society is, that doesn't necessarily mean that society has more virtue in it or that those people are happier or more flourishing or that they have better human relationships or that there's more trust between them. They're different questions in my mind. And I think, you know, the, the latter questions I mentioned are perennial because human nature is, is, is the same, you know, I mean, we, yeah. we encounter different challenges. We used to have more, um, you know, physical wars between ourselves. And now we, we fight in different ways. We fight in social media, we fight through the media, we fight in passive aggressive ways through, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, um, and our world is very different technologically. Um, the internet has made all of that very different, but we are not fundamentally different beings in terms of our nature and I think the the moral questions in virtue of that are not fundamentally different we still need to understand how best to treat each other and I think we're failing massively at that or or many of us are anyway Mm -hmm. yeah and it's and if we go back to that you know not being able to be other than what we are in our souls that is when we do have or find that connection then Liz and I were talking earlier it's it's almost impossible to want to do harm because I believe and I it's an opinion I guess that our true nature is actually good and that we want to be good to each other and help each other um yeah we're not always that right those are two different questions so are we fundamentally altruistic and concerned about helping other people and are we always good at figuring out how to do that <laughs> right yeah exactly um <laughs> and then here we Right. I think that this is a reflection of that time um, of the justification of I'm doing this because I need to do it for someone else versus I'm doing what I feel is best for me. And that will affect everybody anyways. Yeah, I mean, that is certainly how the debate is sort of getting cast. Um, I, I think also there's a kind of, you know, all this virtue signaling and this sense of righteousness that, you know, uh, an unvaccinated person, for example, is a bad person because clearly they don't care for others. Well, they might very well care for others and believe that, you know, the evidence leads them to um, draw the conclusion that it is better for others to to hold that position, you know. So there's a question about, yeah, whether or not we're selfish. And then there's a question about whether or not what we're doing is actually um you know, helping or hurting other people. And so we've, 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 we've allowed kind of that moral conversation to stall uh, the factual one. Yes. If that makes sense, yes. you know? 
And so in your exploration with the conversations you've been having since, you know, that video came out and everything kind of just sprouted out of that. First, my question is, what was the response from your students and, you know, that the people you were making that video mm -hmm. for it obviously went viral and, and it yeah. touched other people? Yeah, so interesting. I mean, for it to go viral, it meant a lot to other people, but the people it didn't seem to mean anything to were my students. So uh, I, I, I heard from, I heard from like maybe two or three who disagreed and thought I was a danger to society and don't deserve to you know, be teaching ethics. And then I have since heard from a couple who are much more sympathetic and more open, you know, to, to discussing this, even if they're not on this side, but it's been pretty, um, it's, it's been quite silent. It's, it was, um, and that's a very weird within academia, right? For there to be that kind of uh, lack of discussion, especially when the topic is so important and so mm. kind of inflammatory, right? You would expect the opposite to be true. Right. And how do you think we got here? <laughs> With uh, that so taboo, you know, especially okay. in where you're discussing and you're coming up with thoughts and conversing. Yeah. I mean, it's not only COVID that's like that, right? right. That the first topic that I remember in ethics feeling taboo like this was abortion. Mm. This was the thing that, you know, we, we could talk about other things. We could talk about capital punishment. We could talk at the time about euthanasia. We could talk about Holocaust. We could talk, you know, we could talk about lying, murder, all these things, but mm. abortion was very, um, was, was very taboo. And I think we have, you know, COVID has become that way now, you know, the gender identity politics has become mm. that way. Race has become that way to the point where yes. we don't even understand what race is anymore or whether in or not it should matter. Right. Um, and it seemed like a while ago, you know, with something like race or gender, it was bad if you took too much account of those things. And now it's bad if you don't take enough account of those mm -hmm. things. And I think we're at a point where people don't know what we're supposed to think anymore. So we better not say anything. Right. right. Um, so I think COVID is, you know, not the only issue about which we have found ourselves unable to, to discourse, you know. Mm -hmm. And what do you see is the, the, the moving forward, like, you know, when I think about everything that has happened, I, I feel this contraction and, you know, the words that come up to me are like violence in language and behavior in, in governance in this disassociation, right? This authority following with not a lot of critical thinking and involvement of an, almost like participation, a lack of participation. And, um, I think of the contrast of that, you know, the flow of ideas and open communication and that bounce and just that richness that and in those conversations and everything that you've been living through this time, do you foresee a way or ways that we can continue to foster that or, or plant those seeds? You know, I do feel, I mean, the reason I think we got to this point is because we stopped seeing people as being valuable as individuals and we started seeing them as having value only to the group, only to the tribe, only to the collective. And I don't think we can move. I don't think, and that's not to say that community isn't important. It's not to say that relationship or bonds between people are important, but it is to say that, you know, if we start thinking of people as having value only insofar as they are the member of a tribe, then they can be sacrificed and traded and bartered without any reference to who they are as individuals. And all the things you were just mentioning, you know, ideas, exchange, and open discourse, 
that those are all verbs that refer to actions between individuals, right? Of course, you can do that in a group, but it happens only because there's a difference of opinion and you decide to share those differences and talk about those differences. So I think we, I, I really do think we did a big disservice to young people. Uh, this is going to sound sort of trite, but but giving every kid a trophy where we told them that you are identical to everyone else. Hmm. And you either don't, either there are, there are, there are no differences between you and other kids or those differences don't matter. And I think we were coming from a good place in some sense. We wanted to make sure that kids didn't feel like if they were shorter or had red hair or whatever it was that we didn't want them to feel badly as a result of that. But I think the result, we pushed that so hard. The result is now um, they don't have any kind of identity or any kind of integrity or any belief in their own self-worth. And, um, that's not something that's fixed overnight. You know, that's something that's fixed in the home by parents, how we treat each other, how we model behavior for our children. And then, of course, how that's enforced when they go out into the world. But these are big uh, cultural, you know, we, I think we need to realize that human beings will never be identical to one another unless we manipulate it to be so. Right. Um, so we can choose to ignore that fact or embrace that fact and if we embrace it we can choose to stigmatize those who are different or we can choose to embrace i mean these are these are our choices you know and um i think we will not i think we're in a bit of an identity crisis culturally because we're trying yes. to pretend we're something we're not hmm. which is identical people are, robots who are whose yes. obligation is to sacrifice to the group yes hmm. and if you don't know who you are then how can you be connected to your own truth, right? That's right. And how can you feel like any kind of power to defend your own ideas, right? Yeah. Why would you? Yeah, exactly. So the last question we'll ask today, Julie, is for you, what have you learned in your search for whatever truth is for you? What have you learned about yourself? What has come that you maybe didn't know before about yourself? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think one thing I've learned is that there is... Um, I mean, earlier on, one of the questions I would get in interviews a lot was, what does it feel like to be so hated? <laughs> right? mm. Mm. And then I don't know what I said initially, but then I started thinking about that question. So that, well, people are going to be asking me this. What do I think about it? <laughs> um, and I got to the point where I just realized it's kind of freeing because you don't have yeah. to worry anymore about, oh, tiptoeing around this idea or that because I might lose my social position somehow. Well, if you've already fallen down, <laughs> you know, right. the nine pegs or something, and then you realize, well, what does the fall involve? Well, it involves not being welcomed by people who turn out to exhibit bad behavior in the first place. And so, you know, you have less comfort in a broader group, I guess. But then you also find people who um, have been very courageous and who are very, you know, deep thinkers that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet anyway. Yes. And so... I do feel like it's kind of freeing. I feel like now I, I can really say whatever I want, provided it's thoughtful and I'm not risking losing anything because I've lost those things that you could risk mm -hmm. by voicing your opinion. Yes. You know? can't be fired again. I, <laughs> my current employer is going to fire me for speaking my mind, but we'll see. <laughs> Got hired for that reason, I think. So yes. Um, Anyway, joking aside, but you know, when you when you've lost all these things that keep us from speaking out, 
and then you do it, you, 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 you do feel like you kind of embrace what it is to be human. And there's something mm. very good about that. Wow. Mm. That's there's, so beautiful. Just also know that in contrast with whatever it is that's being said out there, you rose as a beacon of light and hope. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah thank thank you. you so much, Julie, for everything that you do continue to do. And yeah. And we'll we appreciate you. Yeah. We'll link you up in the description of the podcast. And um, thank you so much for sharing your time and your presence with us today. Thank you to you both. Lovely questions, lovely discussion. You have a good <laughs> afternoon. Thanks. You too, Julie. Bye-bye. <laughs>